Good morning and welcome to the Weldon Green Podcast. Today I'm going to bring you a new episode of the Ask Weldon Show. You can check the show out live every day, 6.30 p.m. at twitch.tv slash mindgamesweldon. And remember that everything in the Mind Games brand is supported by the Mac program, mindgames.gg slash MAC. And you guys should use the code podcast as you're listening to the audio version of the show rather than the code that I share during the video. All right, let's hop into it. Good morning and welcome to the Ask Weldon Show, episode 214. Today's title, Riot's Patching is Keeping League of Legends Down and Up. Uh, I'm going to add that caveat there just so you know. Today I'm going to talk about how League of Legends patching keeps League of Legends down, but also how it benefits League of Legends. So I'm going to look at the pros and the cons of the patching and talk about how it affects pro play. Uh, no other big announcements. I'm back in Finland from the TSM boot camp. If you want to check out my recap of that, uh, I'll put a I'll put a post on YouTube, and that'll come up in the next few days. Otherwise, make sure to turn into the sh- tune into the show every single day on Twitch at 6:30 p.m. LA time, I believe is what the time zone change is right now. So show goes live at 6:30 p.m. on Twitch. We start recording at 7 p.m. And then we end around 7.30 or 8. It just takes an hour or two of your time. And you can ask questions in the Twitch chat so you can get a version of the show like this, but with a lot more interaction. So there's a dialogue instead of just recorded questions. All right, that's really all the announcements for today. Let's jump into the show. Okay, today's first question comes from Anders. And it is, of course, the League of Legends patching question. Let's hear what he has to say. Hey, Weldon. I have a question about patching in League of Legends and whether or not too many changes with a game constantly actually creates a culture um, for players to not um, actually focusing on improving. So, to give you some perspective of mine, I've played Warcraft 3 for so many years, which means I had to condition myself uh, with a game that had next to no changes. And when I peaked, I played against really, really good players, like pro players. And yes, I got destroyed, but at least I was that good. And in League of Legends, I've played many years, and now I'm Diamond 1. And it feels like my friends around me just wait for the next item to take them to challenger. Is this actually inheriting people from getting better? Oh, great show, by the way. Thanks. Bye. All right, Anders. Thanks for the excellent question. Thanks for calling it in. And I believe the simple answer is you're right. Uh, there are two kinds of or approaches to games right now. In Now that we have this constantly evolving patch style living game uh, because of the internet, uh, gaming economy or ecosystem. So before, remember, it was you'd buy a game, they couldn't count on people patching it, so they would stabilize it at a certain point, mostly fix bugs, and um, and then they would just leave it. And so you would have a single game that people would perfect over a long course of time. Now we have the constantly evolving game. So there are massive cons for this related to professional play. Essentially, the skill of a professional player stops being the the epic, dynamic, top-end physical skill set. So we're talking like reflex speed and um, like 
capability of refinement and capability of duplicating performance with a specific set of circumstances, no matter the pressure or the setting, and dealing with the kind of like every single situation that's possible in the game and deepening your understanding of the game. Instead, the skill of the set of athletes at the top becomes learning. The the athletes that are able to learn the best and the fastest and become the top in the world on a new patch over and over again, repetitively, no matter the meta, no matter the change, while they continue to, of course, evolve the understanding of the game um, and to deal with teams, because now we've we've gone much more towards team games than individual games. Um, Those are the ones who are going to be kind of at the peak at the peak end of performance. So I think that the answer is it it yes it does inhibit the ultimate mastery of, of a particular game because you can never get to chess when the game is changing what the moves do all the time. We can never get to the point where we understand the game so well that we can train people up to be grandmaster level and then they can learn from there, you know, to to kind of push the limits of chess. But on the other hand, it does there is a bell curve, right? There is a peak top-end section of performers, and those performers, the skill set that they have is is this adaptation and learning, which in a way is a, is a beautiful thing. The flaw that I've always said is, that this leads to is that training time becomes the key differentiator between people who are crushing it and people who aren't. And that is simply because you always have to be learning. You always have to be training. You always have to be rewiring your brain. And the only way to rewire reflexes, motor reflexes that we know of is through volume-based training. So the more um, drill scenarios that you can get in, the better. And unlike StarCraft 2 and and WarCraft 3, you can't become so amazing at it that you can start trimming down your practice time. Like there there are the peak... StarCraft players in Brood War could trim down their practice time so they were playing fewer hours a day. But but with the games as they are nowadays, um, you never get to the point of mastery where you can focus on other stuff, where you can optimize your training. It's just uh, basically a full-on grind. And, and I think that that kind of limits the age that you can have athletes, right? Because, because let's say you, you have to train, or let's say if you do train, 12 hours a day, you happen to be better than people who train eight hours a day, which is more or less the case at this point. It's going to happen that people have other things to do with their life when they hit their mid-20s. You know, they're going to want to be forming relationships. They're going to want to be forming companies. They're going to be wanting to do, maybe maybe incorporate other hobbies into their life or learn a spare, you know, a, a second language. Or There's going to be other things to spend their time doing. And so, their their career is going to be artificially shortened, meaning they could keep up their skill if they wanted to, but they have other interests, so their motivation is going to drop down, and they just can't keep up with the sheer amount of volume of hours of training necessary for that game. Now, other games like CSGO, where you can still reach this level of mastery, you see so many older athletes that choose to put in the refined training at a lower volume that is necessary to stay stay at a high level in that game. And so they're able to reach older ages because they can still, you know, have a relationship and build a family and maybe do a hobby or start a company while they're training and becoming a pro. Right. So I think that it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of give and take give and take on the on the pro end for that um for the patching, right? Because the game's constantly evolving. Now as far as the consumer end, I think that it's pretty much the only way to go. And and this is a little bit of a 
I don't, it's, this is going to be a controversial statement because there's the, the other way is arguable as well, that, you know, patching is not necessary. But in my opinion, patching keeps the game very interesting. Patching keeps the game changing all the time. And patching changes pro play constantly so that everything that you're watching is always like a new interesting game and the meta is constantly evolving and it's not just the same, the same, the same all the time. Um, which means that which means that it's just much better for the consumer model, right? It's much better for the fans. It's much better for the audience. It's much better for people who play the game. Uh, it's much better to keep people stimulated and interested in this highly enriched dopamine-filled internet world where you just need to constantly be kind of like barraged with new things. And on top of that, it constantly is reshuffling the ladder because learning is the key skill that you need to constantly improve and climb at this game. You're not going to get you know these, these 10, 15... Um, you know, people who have complete mastery of the game and, and are keeping everybody else down, you know, on the tops of each ladder bracket or whatever region, you're just going to have this kind of like fluid cycle of people who who are able to pull out, you know, brand new champions and, and learn them and make their streams entertaining and teach stuff all at the same time that they're that they're kind of like mastering the game continuously. And I think that makes for better entertainment and better conversations and better community and better viewership too. So I think that there's a tension between the pro life of a sport athlete in League of Legends, uh, of an esport athlete in League of Legends, and the fandom of you know the entire world who's kind of like consuming this the the content created by the esport athletes. And I think that it only makes sense right now if the value of the time that these people are sacrificing for the game and the value that they're generating for a riot is appropriately compensated, which it more or less is happening right now, I think, for the amount of sacrifice that people are putting in. I think it's close to happening. I think that this balance of, of you know, patching and changing the game and then, you know, relying on pro players to market it for you by being really good and playing on stage is is going to start breaking down when it's more like slave labor, right? When it's more like Riot is making off with billions and billions and the pro players are sacrificing their lives and all of their time and they're not really ever going to end reach the end of this grind because the game keeps getting patched in order to keep the fans happy, um, you know, psychologically. And then the players also aren't getting really compensated for the for the value that they're driving for the company. So, but right now I think it's I think it's a decent balance and I was unhappy with it a few years ago and I'm rather happy with it right now. And I th- I think that uh, you know it's just something we'll have to live with in this sport. And I think that there's space on the table. That means there's space on the table for other sports like Brood War or StarCraft 3 where you reach like a perfect balance of a game. There's needs minimal changes but is otherwise not going to have anything added to it. And people can master it to an extent where you get to see this very refined kind of play from the top end players. And I think that, honestly, I think that Melee might be a little bit like that. I think that Melee and some of the fighting games might be at the point where, you know, you have this refined mastery. And the more that you're able, that these new games are able to design a way to see that insane mastery. That's the key, is it's really hard in Melee, unless you're already freaking good, to kind of see how amazing it is. But if if a game came out that was as perfectible as Melee, um, but you could kind of, as a layman, you could watch the game and you could see the mastery of it to that extent, that would be, I think, the key to creating another Brood War uh, or 
or another Warcraft 3. Kind of like that. All right. That's my answer to that question. Anders, thanks so much for calling in. Let's jump into the second question from Thomas. Hi, Weldon. I get the impression that in the League of Legends community, there are a few different ideas of what a coach is or should be. So I was wondering, based on your experiences, what do you think the roles and responsibilities of a coach are or should be on a perfect team? Um, And secondarily to that, uh, on this same team, what do you think the role of a sports psychologist would be in relation to that coach? Thank you. All right. So a coach on a perfect team, I assume this is like a perfect coach as well. And let's just use League of Legends as the context. Um, the role of the coach should be to, to, to manage the player's motivation and to give direction and philosophy to the game in, and to choose every single day what is focused on by the team in terms of training and to show the progress to the players and tell the story of their journey through their skill set uh, and to determine essentially what is focused on in conjunction with the players to determine at the philosophical level what is focused on every single week of training from the beginning of the season all the way to the world championship and the, the coach who chooses the best things is the one who's going to win it's pretty much what it comes down to uh given given the best players also uh, so yeah it's it's a it's a it's a job where your discernment of the correct choices of what to focus on because there's infinite things to focus on in terms of improvement and you can't improve them all it's not how the brain works uh, otherwise there'd be a ton of pros you know there'd be a ton of top level players and everybody would be good at everything but it's not how it works you can only learn very specific things through concentration and through training so concentrating on the wrong thing is a waste of time concentrating on the right thing gets you better at it uh, and so, yeah, you got to concentrate on the, the exactly correct thing for the next step of getting good. And it has to be the thing that wins you the game more. So like, here's an example, practicing level ones over and over again. So let's say you spend tons of time in the post game review, you know, 20, 30 minutes after a scrim and tons of time in your theory crafting every week, looking at level ones and planning level ones. Okay. And and that is what you focus on. And let's say game, team number two spends every single 20-minute review, all of their time, and every single like theory crafting moment that they can on barren setups. You know, 20 to 20 to 30-minute barren setups, okay? Now let's say the two teams clash, and let's say that team one gets a great level one, and they get a huge advantage at the level one, and they snowball that advantage by 20 minutes into a 2K advantage, and that is what they're able to get from all of their training. And then let's say the ge- team two says, okay, well, we've practiced Baron setups from every single possible scenario, including 2K up and 2K down and even 4K down and 4K up. So now we're going to do our Baron setup. And oh, hey, we got Baron because this is the thing we practiced. And the other team poops the bet on it, but we're much better than them at it. And then, oh, we have Baron, so we're going to take an inhibitor and then we win the game. Turns out taking Baron is a lot more important than how well your level one goes. As much as level one gives an advantage, makes the game easier, um, and the game can be won or lost off of level ones, uh, there's a whole bunch of other things that have to go right after the level one to make that happen. So, yeah, so your choice as a coach over what it is that you bring your team's focus to 
is going to determine whether or not you win or lose against a team that chooses something better. So you better choose right. That's kind of what I see as the job of the coach, is to give that direction, that philosophical direction to the team and to keep people honed in on what their skill set is. You're coaching people and coaching the game through the people that you have. And of course, managing the player's motivation. Now, a sports psychology trainer working in conjunction with a coach most likely should be embedded within the coach environment, should be working with the players one-on-one on development goals that they have for the week, and they should be working with the coaching staff and training them on how the coaching staff can implement sports psychology tactics uh, and training throughout the whole team in, in the group setting. That would be the ideal situation for a sports psychology trainer to work through the coach and essentially to train themselves out of a job as much, as quickly as possible, more or less. That the coach should be the person who's implementing almost everything that a sports psychology trainer would. It's just the coaches don't often go get master's degrees in sports psychology, so they can't really do that, you know, unless they're me. All right, final question. Before I jump into the final question, make sure to check out my Mac training program. This is 47 online videos that I created over the last five years of of my training. And it's kind of my attempt to bring what I do to the masses more. So this is the third version of this program. I launched it in 2016 or 2015, kind of right when I joined or right before I joined TSM. And it is essentially just an online video training course that you can buy for 30 bucks, but you should use the code AskWeldon, which comes with all of these YouTube videos, the code AskWeldon to get the $5 discount. And that way I know that you came from YouTube. And you basically watch a video a day. It's seven weeks, seven modules and each module has seven sessions and you learn the principles of mental resilience and performance so this can this is a performance program a mindfulness-based performance enhancement program and it works for performance right so anything that you can kind of catalog or categorize as performance whether that's studying or esport or your relationship or um, your lifting or whatever it is that you want to take and choose. I even have somebody in my Twitch chat who comes in every day and she updates us on how it's going with her job because she's she's taking her these the application of these skills and she's bringing it to her her work life right and she's attempting to be a leader um, and and a coworker to the best and to the highest extent of her abilities to develop as a human. So there's another example of like how this can be applied in pretty much any situation and. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's what I offer and it's what I have and it's basically the thing that I use to support everything that I do here on my channel and on this brand. So make sure to check it out, mindgames.gg slash M-A-C. Question number three. Hey, well, so I've been playing MOBAs for a few years now and I've been having a recurring issue where I get pretty good at one or two specific characters but find myself floundering if I have... I know this isn't necessarily the case for other players because I'll sometimes see people carry on champions they've never played before. So it makes me wonder if I'm just bad at the game. Uh, Thank you. All right, so is it a problem to be a one-trick pony? And how is it that you can get to the point where you are carrying with, like, multiple champions? So it's not necessarily a problem to be a one-trick pony, but it does reveal that the skills that you have to use, that you're using to win the game, are related to the champion, the mastery of the champion that you have. And so I would say that if you want to develop yourself as a, as a um, 
systems thinker, if you want to develop yourself as, a, as somebody who understands the game at a deep level, you have to go beyond the champion. So the first thing, there's a series of steps that you can do to progress through this. So don't worry that it's like, um, you know, some sort of unknowable cliff that you need to jump off. The first thing you should do is you should try to find and maybe put in a list the champions of any position, really, that function the same way as your champion. So for whatever one trick you have, there are a number of champions that want to do the same thing. And here's what you should look at. If you have a champion that struggles in lane and needs to survive laning phase because they're usually going to be a melee matchup against a ranged matchup, there's a whole bunch of other champions that struggle in laning phase as a melee champion versus a ranged matchup, right? And if you have a champion that has high mobility and the ability to go over a wall, Okay, that's a very f- different kind of feeling and style from champions that cannot go over walls and don't have high mobility, so you, you would stick with that class, right? And if there's a type of champion that wants to go in at a very specific time on a very specific target, like for example, I play a lot of Talon. You, want it, you cannot you know, initiate the fight unless you're hard carrying a game, luckily. Uh, so you have, to, you have to go in at a very specific time and you have to choose the right target because it could be that you get CC'd and you don't kill anybody except the one person you have. So you need to get that trade and it has to be the high profile target that you know is going to win your team the team fight. Um, and you always need to escape routes, right? And you, then you need to go in at a specific timing when certain spells are on cooldown or when other ones are wasted or you need to be aware of the enemy team and what they're doing. So let's say I also play Zed because Zed is the same class. I also play Shaco because Shaco is a very similar class to that. I also play Rengar, same idea. So you have these very specific timings that you have to go in on the very specific champions and you have to you have to think about, you know, what your job is and what your role is in the team fight and where to be at uh, you know at the right place at the right time while you're kind of like oh still soaking up farm. So you can play all these champions the same and this is how you start to break out of being a one-trick pony and you start thinking about your champions as a system. Once you do that, then you can start thinking about, you know, other systems in the game. So you can you can look at another class of champion and you can start to think about the decisions that you would make around those champions. And now all of a sudden you're paying a lot more attention to your opponents than you are your own champion. Like, okay, what are their cooldowns? What does this team fight look like? What spells are that are dangerous am I looking for? Um, where should I be? Which angle should I come in on? And all of these skills are independent of your champion what angle you come in on you know what the cooldown is in the team fight um you know what the priority target is how to be how to farm a wave and then get to the fight at the right time or do you need to kill the wave or can you only kill three minions you know how to optimize your farm in that way um okay well that's a little different if you're playing talon right but um hopefully if you have a mobility champ you're kind of used to the 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 speed at which you can transit transit the map so i think that the way that you break out of that idea of being stuck in a champion and a one-trick pony mindset and then needing to take it to the next level is you start with the class and you start by making your decision-making related to um, the factors that are prevalent across the entire class of champions that function in a similar way. And you try to get really good at those decisions. Then you expand that, of course, into the next kind of style of champion. And that is how you learn to carry with a brand new champion, you figure out what their role is and you essentially know what you should be doing in a fight. And then you just have to get good at executing the skills, which takes spamming a couple games, maybe jumping into the practice tool to practice your combos and your animation canceling, etc. And uh, and then there's, there's the laning phase, right? So everything that I just talked about has to do with like mostly the middle of the game and the macro and all the decision making. Luckily, those are the actual decisions that win you the game right? You can count. You cannot count 
the number of times that you have watched a streamer who has like tanked in the laning phase and then carried the game or just like won the game, right? I'm sure that you can think of a lot of examples. So while the laning phase is important, um, it's something that you have to spend a lot of time learning specifically for one champion into another champion. So it's not a very high success way to master the game because you're never going to be able to play this champion against that champion to a repetitive mastery state over and over again if you're like an amateur player who can only play a couple games a day. It's just never going to happen. It even doesn't, doesn't even happen for pros to master the matchups like that. You know, they have to get really philosophical about it in a lot of cases. So what you should be focusing on is these decisions, these early and mid-game decisions about where to be on the map and how to do your buying, you know, and how to, how to lane like in a philosophical way. And then the mid and late game decisions about how it is that your champion pilots into their composition um, and to win the game. And those are kind of the first things that you, you one trick pony in order to get the laning phase out of the way mostly so that you can learn these other skills. Um, and then you can go back if you have extra time, of course, and, and refine your laning. But it shouldn't be the thing that you rely on or else, yeah, you will be stuck with this ability to only carry on the champions that you know how to stomp lane with in a specific way. And then you know kind of what to do with your lead, which um, isn't necessarily mastery of the decision-making aspects of the game. So that's the answer. Thank you so much for the question. Thanks for calling it in. This is one that puts another spin on the One Trick Pony question, and I really enjoyed the way that you phrased it. And uh, yeah, make sure to check out the Mac program if you can. And twitch.tv slash mindgameswellden every single day, 6.30 p.m. LA time. Come and join the talk show. Um, put your questions in the chat, enter a dialogue, and learn how to improve at esports and life. Talk to you tomorrow. That's the show for you today. I hope that you guys enjoyed it. Remember, you can check out the show live at twitch.tv slash mindgameswelden every day, 6.30 p.m. And you can join the pre- and post-show chat where I answer questions from the audience in depth. We can kind of dig into them deeper because you're there to respond. And make sure that if you check out the Mac program, mindgames.gg slash MAC, that you guys use the code podcast. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.